please join me, please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our assembled hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I got a countercultural message for you this morning. If you thought we were going to come in and, and be congruent with what you've heard all week, the last six days of the news cycle, it's going to be a whole, a whole different thing. I was visiting with a friend this week, and he's been a pastor the same amount of time as, as I have. He graduated from seminary same year as I did, 1991, which sounds like 1776 when you say that now. And uh, he said to me, he goes, Clink, can you imagine how much has changed in the church and in the world since 1991. And we kind of sat there and reflected a little bit and watched a little bit of the NCAA tournament and it's surreal, the amount of change. If you, uh, if, if you look at, at futurism and read about futuristic pieces, one of the books you may want to look at is called Thanks for Being Late, written by Thomas Friedman from the New York Times. Friedman said, it's not the rate of change that's freaking everybody out. It's the rate of acceleration. Not just that things change kind of like this, but they accelerate like this. So you don't just have a, a, a flip phone that goes to another flip phone, that goes, but you have a flip phone that barely works to a fully functioning iPhone that runs your whole life for you. And it happens in 12 years. And it's accelerating. The moment you buy that new iPhone or that new Android, it's obsolete. Because the crazy people at Android and Apple are working like crazy to make sure that the latest and the greatest are coming faster and faster and faster. And even the acceleration of cultural change and the way we view ourselves and our lives and how we view God and culture, all of those things are so markedly different than 1991 or 2001 or 2011. The rate of change and the acceleration of that rate of change. So we have our sanctuary. We get to come into the sanctuary. We get to come out a little bit of that rate of change and that rate of acceleration. We, we get to have a countercultural moment that leads us to a countercultural word. The word is repentance. And repentance doesn't happen in a 50-minute worship service. It's a way of life for Christian people. It's marks who we are and what we do. It marks a turning away from what we think is the way to go and turning toward God. And we live in a world that wants to move so quickly, that wants to reduce pain and suffering so quickly and, 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 and in such a rate that you just kind of walk across the stones of sin, or it feels like you're walking across the stones of sin when really you're neck deep in it. And so repentance isn't a touch and go. Repentance isn't a, a, a little thing where we kind of wink and nod at God and say, I'm good if you're good. Rather, it's that heartfelt remorse for sin. And turning away from it and leaving it behind through a lifetime of following Jesus. It doesn't just happen. It's an ebb and flow of God's grace 
in our lives. And just about we think we've got it wired and figured out, then life goes on. And you're moving and you're shaking and things are good and you're keeping up with the rapid pace of thus and such and family and life and work and all of those things. And then something happens. And then you've got to come almost to a full stop in your life and say, now what? What do I think? How do I feel? What do I do? How, how am I going to push forward from this event that was either put on me or that kind of randomly came about? How am I going to deal with and process this through my, my feelings, my intellect, my faith, my brain, my body? How am I going to get through this? In our scripture text today, Jesus addresses this. Something had happened on the front of the Jerusalem USA Today. There, there'd been a couple of things going on. And, and, and Jesus says these words as he pulls the people in around him. He says, now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Now that's a fascinating question. Do you feel that people who've had difficult lives, that they kind of got what they deserved? If someone goes through a painful stretch and they lose their job, do we say, well, they lost their job because they didn't do? Or if something's perpetrated on them? In essence, if they've become a victim of something or somebody else, they were victimized, something was done to them. What happened here in Jerusalem was heinous. It was awful. The, the blood of, of, of people massacred by Pontius Pilate was mixed with the blood of the sacrificial animals and brought to the altar of the Lord. as about as profane as you could possibly get, about as painful to the heart and soul and conscience of the people as you could possibly get. And it really wasn't their fault. So Jesus answers the question. He says, no. I tell you, no, verse 3. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. How do you respond to the things that are perpetrated upon you? Or what about the random stuff? What about stuff that just happens? That you're going through and bopping through life and something just blows you up because random things just happen. This is an artist's depiction of the tower falling at Siloam. 18 people were killed. It made the front page of the paper in Jerusalem. Were they worse sinners than the people who the tower didn't fall on? And then we look and maybe we say, why them and not me? How do I survive? How do they survive? How does this work? What's the deal? Or maybe the inverse of that, why me and not them? Jesus addresses a very common way of thinking. You kind of get what you deserve. If you're sinful and yucky, then you get sinful, yucky stuff. It's kind of how it works. But what about something yucky happening to a solid Christian person? Then what do you do and where do you go? Jesus addresses this in the text two times. He says these words, unless you repent, you will all perish. Unless you repent, you will all perish perish. That word perish is a beautiful word, apekteno. It, it, it doesn't just mean that your body stops. It, it means that you die inside. 
that there's something inside of you that is being poured out that you're drained, you're worn out, you're beat up, shriveling away. The death not just of the body but of the soul and the spirit. He says unless you repent, you will all have that sort of death. And I think we know that feeling, that feeling of being drained. That feeling of being tired of, as Paul writes in our epistle reading, of being tempted and tempted and tempted and saying no, no, no. Of, of, of having this stand up and that stand up, dealing with this and that. And in a rapidly moving culture saying, I'm just tired. And the Lord Jesus says to his hearers that day, unless you repent, you will all perish. And so we repent not just as a focus of today and now, but as a focus of a lifestyle. Turning away from sin and turning away to grace. Turning away from guilt and turning to forgiveness. Turning away from shame and turning to God's righteousness. Turning away from self and turning to Christ. Going back down that broken road of sin through the, 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 the history of our lives and ending up at the cross of Jesus and saying, without this cross, I have nothing, but with it, I have everything. And Lord, I need you more than I need anything else in my life. Without you, my soul is thirsty, hungry, parched, and dying. Like the fig tree in the text. Love that little parable. Jesus sneaks that in at verse 6. A man had a fig tree growing in his garden, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming back to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. vineyard manager is patient with the tree. You could just take the chainsaw to it and cut it down. Why not? You need the space. It's in the middle of the vineyard. It's making a huge mess. And you're getting nothing for it. No bang for the buck. No return on investment. All the stuff you've done ain't working. So why not just cut it down, cut the stump out, and be done? Do something else. Make the ground more fruitful. Use your resources in a better way. Until the man says, wait a minute, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. Let's see what happens. One of my sins and one of my problems is I like to go to the chainsaw. And I like to go to the chainsaw instead of go to the shovel. Because you know what? The chainsaw works. You cut that down, you move that on, you get this stump dug out, and you can plant something else. It's really easy to use a chainsaw if you're properly trained. <laughs> right? The chainsaw works. Sometimes my mouth and my staccato and the ability I have to put phrases together can just cut like a chainsaw into somebody's heart. And I need to be reminded of the patience the Lord has for me. The vineyard manager is patient, and God is patient. 
God says, I'm going to get the shovel, not the chainsaw. We're going to dig a little bit around your roots. We're going to break up that, that soil so the, so the water can get down into the roots. We're going to break down a little bit of that so the fertilizer can get in down there. And we're going to fortify you and, and strengthen you. We'll be patient, see what happens. The nature and the heart of God is right there for you. God is patient as the situations of life lead us to repentance and a turning away from self and a turning to the Lord. And it's so hard in a quickly accelerating culture to be patient. I have a dear friend who's a therapist and I love to refer people to see my friend because he's a good therapist who, who takes time with people. And I said, I've got the names of probably five therapists. And if you want to just go in and go out and, and, and feel better about yourself and, and visit the person for like 20 years with nothing happening, go to see any one of these therapists. They're cheap. They're easy. It's great. But if you really want to do your work, talk to my friend. Oh. And then they call and they meet with my friend and they go on a journey of healing. Not like driving through an old photo mat booth or the Del Taco drive through but like going on a ride across the nation to see the very best things of life. And the healing that comes in the slowness and the, method, and the methodical work is powerful. And that's how God is. Patiently digging around our lives, not cutting us off at the knees. With patient endurance, digging here and digging there so that as we turn to Him in repentance, He doesn't say, well, that's too bad for you. Sorry, you're a victim. Or, man, that random thing really stinks. Now what are you going to do? Rather, God says, confess and admit your sin to me. It's okay. I won't cut you off. He says, as a matter of fact, I'm going to release you from that sin by the power of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. I'm going to provide for you a way out. And that's the way of the cross of Jesus Christ. And with the strength that comes from that forgiveness, I'm also going to provide to you a way to turn away from the sin. I love that piece in 1 Corinthians 10 where he says, God is faithful and he's going to find you a way out of that temptation. What a powerful promise that is. But yet our culture says, go fast, go now. If you Google up tree cutting fails, trust me. <laughs> I looked for a video clip and I looked and looked and looked and everyone was like 15 minutes long. And I looked at, you know, I thought, doctor, I can't show a 15 minute clip for my sermon. But I had one where the guy had hooked up his tree with chains to a tractor. And when he cut the tree down, he thought it was going to go this way to the side of the tractor. And it went the other way and the tractor flipped out from underneath them. I mean, it just, why? Because we got to do it now. Because it's got to be fixed now. And if we don't do it now, then we're going to be freaking out. So we take the chainsaw to the tree and we cut it down. And then there's more damage to deal with. Best intentions in the world is the man cut his tree down. I'm glad that God fertilizes and cultivates before he cuts. 
And I wonder if there are those people in our lives with whom we have grown impatient. And we see them and we struggle with them and we say, you gotta be kidding again. You gotta be kidding again. You gotta be kidding again. How many times are we gonna do this? I remember saying that in, in, in family, how many times are we gonna have to do this? And the answer is probably one more. Unless you cut it off. And so the patience of God is demonstrated through the people of God in the community of faith. And that heart of God is shown so clearly in Psalm 51, a psalm we continue to come back to through this Lenten season. Have mercy on me, God, in your goodness, in your abundant compassion. Blot out my offenses. God beholds us in his unfailing love. God is filled with compassion for you to restore to you the joy of your salvation. Patiently, lovingly, carefully. Leading you through those moments of life through which you are victimized. And through randomness, he leads you by his grace. Sometimes that shovel digging, breaking up dirt, and the fertilizer going down. So that in following Jesus, not for 50 minutes, but for a lifetime. Reflected in you is the patience of our Lord. And perhaps Lent is the time that we see that patience and need that patience more and more. See, when we talk about sin outside of these walls and outside of the Christian community, the, the rest of the world goes, you've got to be kidding me. You're not helping me with my self-esteem talking about sin. You're not helping me feel good about myself. Right. But we're leading you to a path of life and away from a path of death away from a place of doing your own thing in a way that's going to lead to your destruction and perishing and leading you to the path of grace and life and peace. Maybe the culture's wrong. I'm pretty convinced the culture is wrong. And that a lifetime of repenting and turning to God, instead of God cutting it down, leads us to lives that bear good fruit and lives in which we are a blessing to those who are closest to us. Should we pray? I love this text, Lord. It's for those of us who get it today. It's for those who've been tempted and struggled. It's for those who've fallen, for those who've been patient with someone who has driven them nuts. For, for all of us, Lord, take that pilgrimage to the cross through these weeks of Lent. To behold the sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To seek in repentance forgiveness and to find it in Jesus. And with that forgiveness to find renewal, and strength, and refreshment. Bless us, Lord, as, as we move on towards Easter. Help us in the back of our minds to hear you breaking up that soil and, and, and to, to notice you fertilizing in your word and in your spirit, even now and even in this place as we process and think through our lives. What a marvelous thing it is that you are patient. Till that last day.
Grant us your patience and your peace and lead us home. In Jesus' name.